the Mindset Athlete Podcast, and I'm your host, James Roberts. I'm a two-time Paralympian and owner of James Robert Fitness, which is an online training, nutrition, and mindset coaching business. And each week on the Mindset Athlete, we like to bring you inspirational athletes, a message, or experts talking about human optimization to teach you how to change your perception of your mindset and become 1% better. And on today's show, I've got Grant Parr. He's the author of the book, Next One Up Mindset, How to Prepare for the Unknown. He's also a keynote speaker and a mental performance coach. And also not forgetting the host of 90% Mental Podcast. So welcome on to the show, Grant. Hello, hello. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Um, so before we delve into today's episode, Grant, can you give a little bit of a, I would call it, uh, behind the scenes for my audience, something that you have not said to anybody else? Man, that's a great question. We're jumping right into it, aren't we? Um, I think something I've never talked about, I, I think... Through my through my story of adversity, um, what I had to deal with when I transitioned out of sport, uh, you know, it was very hard on my identity. It was very hard letting go. I was I was a little pissed off on when I left the game of football for many reasons, but um, and I found other things to to kind of make me who I was at that time. Um, but I think what people don't know, maybe they know a little bit, but I really used. Um, I really used alcohol and drugs to, to really cope with the pain and escape. And, uh, and it allowed me this unknown that happened to me at that time when I left football. Um, I didn't know how to deal with the unknown or the unexpected except for medicate and kind of escape. And um, so I've scratched a little bit on, on that in my book in some interviews, but a, a lot of people really don't know the magnitude of what I was going through for about two decades. And those two things kind of, for better or for worse, helped me or consumed me but wouldn't you agree grant the knowing what you know now that notion of going towards drugs and alcohol is going to put you in a sense of numbness really yeah you know and and to be honest with you i think that's where i wanted to go at the time um i i didn't i had great people around me I i had great support system but but you know your support system is only good if you actually reach out to them if you share with them and be vulnerable and, and I wasn't and um so there was a part of me because I was frustrated and upset about what happened to me with my injury and just the pressures of the game being a quarterback is not easy and I didn't want to be a quarterback anymore I didn't want to be the all-american kid I just did not want that anymore but I, I didn't want that because I wasn't perfect anymore through my eyes my body wasn't perfect so if I can't play this game anymore then who am I and, and I spent years figuring out who I was and I created a different person. Um, you know, I became a musician and did some other cool things, but still I was, I, I, there was a lot of unfinished business. Um, and it was due that I was just escaping and numbing myself out, but there was a part of me that I wanted to numb out a little bit. But you talk about this, this unfinished business. Is it because per se, you felt that the injury cut you short, cut, kind of curtailed what you envisioned. Yeah, I think so. But I think embracing that 
like embracing the fact that like, I'm done. And there's some emotional work you have to do. You have to, because if you don't take care of that emotional work, if you're frustrated and pissed off, then it's going to show up somewhere in your life or it's going to show up later down in your life. So that unfinished business is just, you know, I should have been more in the moment, should have been more aware, self-aware of what's going on and, uh, and prepared myself. So, and because of that, because I had this unfinished business, I, and I was so frustrated and pissed off for a long time, it, it put me in a position to look at life uh, in a narrow way, meaning that I was living my life very narrowly. And I, and I now, like now in my life, it's all about playing a big game with everything, with, with my job, with my occupation, with my relationships. And so it didn't allow me to play a big game when I was younger in my life. But in terms of, and this is probably where we will agree, Grant, in terms of uh, focusing on the moment, focusing on the process, gratifying yourself for for doing the little things right, where I think this is where athletes probably do get, they're probably to a certain extent, probably moving away from it a little bit nowadays, but not giving themselves the satisfaction to say, you know, give yourself a high five, a pat on the back for doing the little things because you perceive the process to be something that has to be done. It, it, it's not, if for, in the eyes of an athlete, it's not a process. If I want to get from A to B, it just has to be done. That There's no it's or buts. It's, it's, it's a sacrifice. Yeah, it's like... Um... It, like it needs to look a certain way and if it doesn't look a certain way it's really hard to actually like you're saying uh to to appreciate and honor and celebrate these little successes and i think when you think about it when you think about the journey and the process there's so many so many things that we can look at and find success right it could be success um success could be just showing up in the moment getting into your breath that's successful you know, again, you and I talked about this. When you go, you know, over, over 12 in a game in basketball, you know, on your 13th shot and you're vulnerable and you show up in that moment, is that success? Even if you make it or miss it? Yeah. So I know we all want to win. We all want to get promoted. We all want to advance in our life. But, you know, when you look at the line of success or under the line of success, there's a list of failures, right? So we have to embrace these little, these failures. And then we also have to embrace these little successes. So I think having a good relationship with your six, with, with what success looks like and feels like and how you define it is important. But do you think uh, we're less inclined to look at failure in a positive light, be it from a, I'm going to say performance standpoint, because we're all right with failure in the sense of it being in a practice environment, because that's how you get better. But when it comes into the realms of what I'm going to say reality, that's when the fear actually comes to to, to a head because it, it comes down to winning or losing. Obviously, practice to a certain extent, and you obviously argued that point when we discussed it um, before in terms of you can't think like that, but you have a less um, negative view of of failure in that in that in that in that environment. Well, I think with failing and or failure for fear of failure, there's meaning to it, right? You, you said it when you're practicing, it's okay to fail. Well, I think we need to be okay when we're competing, when we're on the stage, it's okay to fail. And I know that's scary, but what happens is that when we go into this performance, we get into the arena, we get into the basketball court, the swimming pool, whatever it is, the boardroom, we put meaning to it, 
right? So what's meaning to practice versus the competition? People can actually, there are different meanings. So when we put this meaning, when we get into the arena per se, and we compete, that's where like there's some emotional charge on failure. And we need to start being more control to plug into the, the feedback of failure, not the emotional, because the emotional side, we're human and I want you to feel those emotions, but the quicker you can get out of the emotional state of failing, the faster you're gonna move on. Because guess what? That failure that just happened, it's out of your control. You have no more control over it. So let's get the feedback from it and then let's move on, let's let go. And it's, it's, a, it's a great process, it's hard to learn, but when you can do that in the moment, man, you're powerful. But do you think, Grant, that you need to, have, to some extent, need to have that disconnect between what is fit, fear and failure and actually losing? Yeah. I mean, so fears, I mean, you and I have talked about this. Fear, it's in the future. It's abstract. It's an illusion. And you create it, right? So, and I love this acronym, uh, fear is false evidence appearing real, right? False evidence that you create. So when you think about the opposite of fear, it's faith. That's the true evidence. So faith is, and I'm not talking about being religious. I'm saying just trust, faith. So when you have that faith, that's the true evidence. When you have fear, that's the false evidence. So when you, when you actually look at fear versus the failure, well, you're, you're going to fail. Like there's a list of failures. I want you to fail up. So when we're thinking about success, we're thinking about our promotion, we're thinking about things that we want to achieve. Well, we've got to go through this ladder of failures till we get there. So we have to embrace those failures. But fear, I think it's a choice, right? It's a choice. It's in the future. It's out of our control. Lean into it. Like if you have fear, lean into it. The faster you lean into it, I know it's scary, the faster that, that fear goes away. I think that's a great anecdote that in terms of looking at it from that perspective. And do you think because it has that negative attachment towards what in a sense is, okay, on the one hand, faith, optimism, hope, is viewed as very successful. And on the other hand, people will look at fear as losing, missing out. Uh, You can use an any any amount of wording to to exemplify what I'm saying, but it's, they kind of put a guard up from that basis of, I'm going to put up a picket fence, a picket fence, sorry. And everything from a successful standpoint is going to be on my left-hand side and everything to do with fear is going to be on my right-hand side. Right. Well, I think too, it's like the fear of looking good versus the fear of looking bad. Um, it's a it's a crazy paradigm, but I think when you have things like social media, right? Um, media itself, but social media, I mean, you can get exposed real quick. So when you're talking about an athlete, you know, and even a musician, an actor, if you fail, right? There's this fear that it will get pushed out in seconds. Right. And then people start like just start creating this this image of you just because of your failure. So in, in that in that regard, can you control that? You can't. You can't control social media. You can't control what people say. That's why we need to get right with ourselves and we need to get the feedback from failure and not get so connected to the, the emotional charge of it. And do you think because people like and to a certain extent get a kick out of other people's failures, they get validation for themselves then? That's a great question. I think there's, there's some um, unhappiness, you know, when people have to, you know, they get some kind of validation or they get some charge out of it for um, 
exploiting someone's failures or making them feel bad. I mean, to be honest with you, I'm, I'm here. I'm playing a different game. I want to be surrounded by people that are going to pick me up, people that are going to um, be honest with me and give me great feedback, but not not surrounding myself with people that get a charge and they validate their their existence because they make me feel like crap. I mean, that's I can weed those people out pretty quick. You know, I can I can read that energy as well. But um, yeah, I try to stay away from those type of people. But from a sporting sense, and this is probably where the general populace. Uh, see that don't I don't say dis, uh, disconnect, but because per se they've not been in that elite status environment, and I'm not holding them against them, but they they I think they perceive as athletes are very cutthroat in terms of they operate like that twenty four seven, where in the reality that's probably not true or very far from it. Right. Yeah, you know, I, there's there's so many perceptions and assumptions of what people think uh what athlete elite athletes are and how they behave and what they feel like you know I, I just had a conversation I was on a radio show yesterday and they were talking about you know when you're working with an elite athlete these elite athletes have everything they have the money and they have the sponsors and they have you know you know people around them supporting them in every way D- doesn't it just seem like that everything is that they're, they're great. Like their lives are happy. And I said, just because they have all that, you have to understand when you're elite, right? There's more pressure to stay elite. There's more things that you deal with. It's like when you make more money, there's literally more things you have to think about when you make more money. So when you have more status, there's just more things you have to deal with. And so I think as an elite athlete, you have to literally, you have to really dial yourself, dial yourself in with routines, understand your belief systems, know who you are at all times because if you're elite and you have status, you have more exposure, more exposure. People are going to, they're going to try to find something to exploit. They're going to try to see if they can make you weak. It's just, I don't want to say that's what our society is, but there are people out there that do that. But you would also agree, Grant, that an athlete is a mindset. It's very much um, towards preparation uh, what's the other two? Um, execution, uh, and I can't remember what the last one is, but in terms of that, whereas I think people have that disconnect, uh, it, it, the athlete is per se good at that craft because I can't do that, I can't relate. So you're saying like as far as like the the audience, the fans, like they – because well, they're – they they are they are one in this themselves that everybody it can be an athlete because it's at the end of the day it's it's how you you talked about perception of of things the difference is probably the person that strives towards success has been better at actioning those actual endeavors yeah yeah exactly i mean they're those people that have uh, have success and are achieving success they ha- they have discipline right? They, they have purpose, their intention. You talked about mindset, right? Being an athlete, you have to, you know, it's a mindset. Well, it is for sure. And, and also when you think of mindset, which is a word we use all the time society now, I believe that mindset equals intention. I've never, you and I talked about this a couple of weeks ago. I've never seen someone has a particular mindset, whether it's aggressive or calm, 
right? And they're not intentional. You can see when there's someone's really calm during a chaotic situation, they are being intentional. Like uh, Kawhi Leonard, look at the way he plays basketball. I mean, he's putting himself, he's playing against the elite players of the elite players. He's playing against the Warriors and all these other teams are great. But he is so, like, he's being so intentional with his composure and his poise, right? And there's some people that don't have that control. But that's just one way when you think about a mindset, it's intention. And, and I think it's important that when we go into practice, we go into work, we go into competition, that we set our intention and we connect with it with our breath and understand what our intention looks like and feels like. But would you not ag- agree that his demeanor, character, and to a certain extent personality is derived from that, though? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I mean, I think some people have, a, again, they have a perception of Kyrie Leonard um, – you know, he's reserved. He doesn't really share his thoughts. And when he does, maybe he's not as articulate or more, or he's not enthusiastic, but you know, you, you can slice and dice that all day long, but as a player, as a performer, I think he's pretty consistent on the way he wants to be as a basketball player. He's pretty intentional. He's consistent. Yeah. But history has taught us that you've got to be wary of the quiet ones. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah, you, hey, you never know. I mean, we, yeah, that's that's a good point. But in terms of that, that that actual thought process, in terms of how you carry it yourself, how can per se somebody, in your opinion, change some of those things? Because I, I know I've got frustrated in the past, be it with teammates um i think the one that i really got a grip to is probably talking badly about myself in a training environment was that's kind of gone out the window but how do you per se get not necessarily your clients or people that you work with to change that be outside of be the easy ones would be probably meditation and things like that but what would be some other useful tools that people could implement when they're in the moment of, of being frustrated? I would say so. I would say so. Yeah. You know, I, I think when you're competing in any sport, again, team or individual sport, I, I think the hardest thing to do is when you're in that moment where you have, you're experiencing failures or you're, you're not um, hitting your own expectation, things are just not jiving right? It's the hardest thing to shift back into your most confident self in that moment. That's why plugging into feedback versus the emotion is really important. It's the hardest thing to do, I think. And once a, an athlete can learn a process to get them from a frustrated state into a more positive state, they're in control, they're bulletproof, they're going to be, they're going to, they're going to outlast people around them and their opponent. Now, how do you do that? What's that process? Well, to be honest with you, it's all about the here and now. If you want to change any kind of behavior, you have to be self-aware and you have to drop into your breath. Get into your breath. Start getting that relationship with your breath. Now, there's tons of different ways of getting out of that frustrate, frustrated state into a, in a confident state. But for me, I, I like the BVT model, which I created. It's breathe, visualize, and talk, self-talk. So you're breathing, getting yourself in the moment. You're visualizing what you need to do or what you need to recorrect and then talk yourself back into your confidence. So when we think about confidence, it is a feeling, but you know what? It's, and I'm not going to deny that, but it's not every, it's not 
confidence is not just feeling, it's acting. You have to act into your confidence. So what are those actions where they look like? It's breathing, it's body posture, right? And it's also the way you talk to yourself. If you can do those three things, you can act yourself into confidence. But what would you do from the other perspective? Because we talked about this with probably uh, to a certain extent, I'm going to coin it overconfidence, be it you talked about the analogy of a soccer team that you work with. We have a given right because we think we are that good. We are going to be in a championship later down the line. How, how do you get people to switch on? You talked about the notion of you have to treat every game the same. You can't just step up to the next level uh, and try and go through the motions kind of mentality. Mm-hmm. Well, so it, it's a good question. It's a great topic to talk about because when you think about like over, being overconfident, I call it cockiness, right? So there's that line of cockiness and confidence. What's the difference? And the way that I look at it is confident. Cockiness is about them and confidence is about me. So, and if I can kind of go in deeper on that, when someone's trying to be cocky, they're trying to please the external. They're trying to take away the, the energy or the direction of someone or something and they're putting on themselves so they can please something outside of them, right? And sometimes they do that very negatively and the energy you know, is, is not positive. Confidence, even if it sounds like you're, you're being a little bit cocky, if you as the individual know that your intention is being confident, it's not about being, then you shouldn't care what people think anyways, right? Because it's none of your business to think of, you know, to worry about what people think about you because you can't control it. But I think about the confidence is about you, it's intrinsic. And if your intention's in place, I'm staying in my lane, man, I'm confident. I'm gonna go do what I'm gonna do and I'm gonna, I'm gonna feel great about it. So, so I think there's a difference of cockiness and confidence. Cockiness is about them, confidence is about you. But if you put... Grant, that, those on a, on a spectrum, where would you put, um, oh God, I can't the word just saluted me then, uh, arrogance in terms of that because it's different. Most people will associate obviously that very negatively. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think arrogance is kind of in the family of being cocky or in cockiness, right? What about when we think about um, the word swaggered, like, you know, someone has swag, the way they walk, Right. Is that being cocky or is that being confident, right? And again, it's meaning. What meaning do you want to put on it? And again, if someone, if I'm the way that I'm walking, this the swagger that I have, and I have great self-talk, I'm, I'm in my breath and I'm feeling great, I'm visualizing what I'm going to do, but someone deems that I'm cocky, well, guess what? You have, two, you have a choice. You can either plug into their perception and get yourself out of focus, or you can just stay in your lane and, and have that swagger and have that confidence and have it be authentic be intentional. Right. So, um, it's a good question. Cause I think arrogance is kind of in the family of being cocky. And I think per se though, those, the argument, Grant, I think is a good one from the realms of the athlete because it does come on two sides of the fence. It'd be how you perceive yourself and how you are being perceived by be it, uh, teammates, fans media yeah. oh, they're all gonna have their opinions bit because totally. they're not inside your head but i think that is and i did a facebook live months ago on it bit talking about 
what 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 is the difference between confidence and arrogance and and, and I tr- probably didn't do the best way in terms of explaining how I was talking about it but but, but you explain how you would put it I, I I I get that perception because I was trying to say well and that's the argument I will use confidence is good and, and having that arrogance it is that perception of somebody else it's it is it is there's nothing wrong with it per se because it is it is in the eye of the beholder it it it, it is very much down to how it is interpreted by the individual you can't change that no how 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 hard you try i know family did say to me well because somebody said our arrogance is unacceptable it's like but i wanted to change their their opinion of it. it's like right. well i think he's very old school in the way um he he operates the gentleman that commented towards it. So it's like, well, you're old school. It doesn't matter what I say. I'm not <laughs> going to change your mind. And my family was saying it from that point. You're not, he, he he's not stuck in his ways because that's probably too harsh, but he is, has his, he, he's got the right to his opinion and you don't really, you can't change it. You could probably tell your side of the argument, which I did with the video. Right. There, that's where it should stop. Well, you know, when you think about, because I'm, I'm you're kind of bringing some light to the word arrogance, you know, right? Because um, you you hear that word and you think it's it is negative and it can be negative, but I think you know when you think about cockiness and confidence, when you think about being confident, you're you're in control, you're authentic, and you're intentional, and it's all about you. It's intrinsic. Now, when you're cockiness, as soon as you become cocky, you just took yourself out of focus, and you're actually you're, you're actually pointing your direction, your thoughts, and your emotions to the external. So you're not actually focused on what's in your control. You are trying to appease something outside of you. So you just took yourself out of focus being cocky, right? Arrogance, I think that you can still be, you can still be intrinsic and intentional and, and cocky. I mean, I'm sorry, confident and be a little bit arrogant. Just as long as it doesn't get you out of the focus, right? Because I think cockiness gets you out of focus. But what, what what sport would you say would exemplify that? Would you say uh, American football is very, from the outside periphery of it, is very much about the showmanship? It does border between what is cockiness and what is arrogance by be it the stoppages in play, like first downs, uh, sacks and things like that. It's, it's very much, okay, they've tried to clamp it down in terms of, oh gosh, they put a rule in for the Miami Hurricanes in terms of, so they couldn't over-celebrate, be it their successes. But do you think that's one of the sports that exemplifies those extremes? I think it is. I mean, there, there's a fair amount of sports that do that. Um, I think so. I think basketball too. I mean, you know, when you think about, um, we all, I mean, this is a general statement. We all love Steph Curry. Uh, he's brought a, a cool dynamic to the game, right? However, he is humbled. He, he does a lot of just, he works, he works his routine. He commits himself physically, mentally. Um, but there's a little bit of arrogance to him at times, right? When he's chewing on his mouthpiece, you know, and he's smiling after he makes, you know, five in a row, um, or when he sits there and he does some kind of shaking, dancing, I mean, that could be, even though he's having fun, right. But that could be deemed as a little bit arrogant, right. But he's, but he's, but he's actually entertaining too. That's his job, right. Is to entertain. Now you brought up university of Miami, which is funny. They, they brought something back where 
the defensive player, and I, if I can remember that right, if I'm explaining this right, that if you do something right, whether if it's an interception, a sack, or something great, you get to wear this chain, like a really, really massive gold, I think it's a chain. I don't think it's a belt, but it's a chain. And that, I mean, why do you need to do that? Like, why could you just own that you just did a great thing on defense, but, but, but you have to show the whole world on the sideline that you're wearing this. I mean, it's a thick, thick chain. It's massive. But, but I understand that that's incentive. It gets people pumped up, but that could be arrogant as well. But then you could even go a step further that, like, Grant. That's an external motivator as well. It's, 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 it's very much, uh, to a certain extent, materialistic as well. Oh, there's an incentive to go beyond what I would say the intrinsic one, what every athlete, I won't say aspires to, but it's, it's built into their core DNA is that passion for the, the, the sport. They love what they do. It's, it's, that's where I think, I think people were outside that bubble. They lose sight of that. It's like, well, why do you do that? Well, I've, right. I've never, I've never lost the, the initial drive that I got when I was a kid. Mm. Well, you brought up motivation. It is motivation, and I'm, and it's not a bad thing. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but again, it could be deemed as as arrogant and cocky and whatever. But you brought up the word motivation. There is two different types of motivation. There's intrinsic, extrinsic. So people are going to get motivated and be incentivized by wearing a gold chain, getting a scholarship, getting a sponsor, uh, having a girlfriend like them even more because they're a better basketball player that day, whatever it is, that's like, that's external. That's okay. But if you're a hundred percent extrinsically motivated and you don't hit those things, those milestones, then that's where things can happen. Negative things. You start giving up on the sport, get self doubt, start questioning if you're even good enough. And then if you do that long enough, you end up quitting. So that's why I, I teach athletes to get really intrinsic with themselves. What are your, what's, what's intrinsically motivating you right now? And when we can, I like a balance of 60, 40. So 60% of my motivation is going to be intrinsic and 40% of it's going to be external or extrinsic. Why specifically that, that split? Um, I just feel that it could be 50, 50. I think it could be anything you want it to be. It just has to, you have to have a good understanding of what you're being motivated by. But I think, Anytime that you have, you're more intrinsically motivated, um, you're in more control, right? The extrinsic or external motivations, you're, it's out of your control. So I think the more that we can focus intrinsically, we're just in more control. So that's why I do the 60-40. And then Grant, in terms of, I'm going to be a little bit negative now, in terms of the questioning, but from an awareness point of view, where does the athlete need to become more aware when it starts going, starts, the motivation starts skewing towards the other way. So when does he need to be more aware? Well, I would say so it doesn't become out of the, those, those extremes of losing passion towards the sport that they love. And then mm. eventually, okay, the worst scenario possible is obviously quitting. Right, right. Um, well, there's there's a lot of factors involved. I think you got to truly know who you are um, and what you do as far as playing basketball, football, uh, even when you're a salesperson, an actor, that's what you do. It's not who you are. And that's huge. 
And so a lot of times we're motivated internally or externally, and we have to still know with our motivation, who are we outside of our performance? So when we're doing, when we're connected to this extrinsic motivator, right? We want to get that scholarship. Okay. I don't get the scholarship. That means what? I'm not good. I'm not good enough. And then you start, and then maybe you have another game that's not that great. So you have two games that are not good. And then you start really going, huh, all because you're focusing on this external thing that's out of your control and your identity gets really connected with it. Right. And so that's why it's really important when we talk about the warrior mindset, right? We need to learn who are we outside of our game as a person. And then how do we ignite this warrior mindset and, and connect our motivation with it when we get into our environment? And then how do we let go or transition out of that warrior mindset and get back to who we are? But then is it not more um, exemplified uh, by what is society and sport nowadays? Be it, It's very one-dimensional. It's one sport-centric. I'm all yeah. about getting to the next... I'm, I'll call it the next level because it could be getting from high school to, to college, uh, from peewee football to high school and be yeah. very, it's very oh, goal, goal driven S. Okay. It's the, obviously the, the end goal is very materialistic because they want to go to the professional ranks. But in terms of, is that the root cause of what's causing the problem in the first place? I think it's one of them. Um, I think there, there's, it's hard to probably pinpoint the root. I mean, you can probably pinpoint a root, but I would say specialization is from my perspective, it is kind of a problem right now with sports, um, for many reasons. And again, I'm not saying that my upbringing was the right way, but I'm really blessed that I got to play baseball, soccer, basketball, football, track. Like I got to play all those sports. And obviously I got to a point where my love was more towards football. So I started to taper down my sport. So as I got into my craft as a football player, I was only playing literally baseball or football. And then I just ended up letting go baseball, but I had an opportunity to learn different things throughout my development, different rules, different teams, different approaches. Um, my body had to do different things in each sport. Now and I felt that it gave me, I was more of a well-rounded athlete because of that. Now, I'm not saying that you can't be a well-rounded athlete within your sport, but when you think about like how many games a professional baseball team goes through, they go, what, 100 and something games. That's a lot, right? Well, there are summer leagues for 16-year-olds and 17-year-olds, and just in the summer, in three months, they're playing 60-something games. That's just in a summer, let alone they're going back to their, their club team, their high school team, Right. There's and they're playing a ton of. So I think when we're pushing this specialization, um, it, it can it's just excessive. And I think it's hurting the development of their bodies. And it actually I think it's increasing burnout. But also, would it not exemplify, you know, the, the late bloomers as well, because they're going to be oh, I'm not uh, they're more likely to have that essence of self-doubt because their what was naturally their progressional curve in the past would be all right because eventually it would be discovered. But now because of this nature of being specialization, it's being superseded and making it worse. Right. So 
are you, are you thinking of, um, to understand your question? Is it when you have athletes that are late bloomers, meaning that they started the, the sport later and they didn't start it so young where they had all that time to, to, uh, understand, you know, to get better at the sport? Not necessarily that way. You could be the late bloomers, you know, from, uh, you could say, you could put it from that argument per se, but then normally you would associate the late bloomers. They haven't fully developed in that, in, in that sport or been discovered. They've kind of come in it to at the latest stage, be right. and come out, come out of nowhere in terms of a, a psychological standpoint. Are they more likely to put themselves and dampen their actual confidence because of that? Because it's been actually, what was the gap? being to say i won't put a percentage on it but seeming smaller when it was there was more sports relative relatively available as opposed to now it's been people are focusing on one the right. gap is perceived as even greater got it well i i think when you when you regardless if you're a late bloomer or not but you've actually specialized in a sport um and you're and that's it right you're a baseball player you've been playing baseball since you were six years old and now you're 20 and all you've done is play baseball. Now, sure. There's a lot of things that come up like injuries, burnout and all that, but your identity, like that's, that's the only thing you've done your whole life. Now I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but you have to have some good people around you. You have to have some good emotional intelligence to when to transition. Cause there's going to be a transition out of that, that specialization. Um, but as you're talking, I, I want to share a, a cool story and it's one of my best friends who played in professional ranks. Um, he was a pitcher for the um, Anaheim Angels. And so he went through that whole process. Um, but he, he didn't specialize. He played football with me. He played baseball. He played soccer. And he played other sports. But his son pretty much specialized in baseball. Played baseball pretty much his whole career. And was good. He was a good baseball player. Now, his senior year, he was a backup first baseman. So he didn't play that much, but his senior year, he was six, five, pretty tall, still trying to develop his body, but, um, there was an opportunity to play, to pitch. So they moved him in with like a month and a half left of the senior year to pitch. And he just started blowing it up. Like it was like all the scouts, all the professional scouts, all the college scouts, they were like, who is this guy to six, five? He's like, he just started to learn how to pitch. So when you think about that, right his life changed like one year later he went to the best junior college in the country got more got some more um some coaching great coaching and he got drafted to the philadelphia phillies in the fifth round right but he specialized he specialized his whole life um he was a backup his confidence he still had great confidence so i mean you can look at it from different views different angles um obviously that's kind of a storybook uh, story, but and guess what? He was six five when he got discovered. It's been one a little over a year, and uh, he is almost six seven. So, and they said he can probably grow another inch or two. So, I mean, so like, it's a feel good story, but still, like specialization. We just got to be. We got to be. We've got to be. We got to put our pulse on it a little bit better. We have to make sure that we're managing that whole process a little better and, and encouraging people to, if they have the ability and they have the, the energy and the uh, inspiration to do other sports, why not? 
And my penultimate question to you, Grant, is, and I think we have to a certain extent answered this question, but I will answer, ask it anyway. If you had to challenge or change somebody's inner belief system, how would you do it? Challenge or change? Yep. Well, I would, depending on, on the situation, I, I mean, go back to the beginning. Like, how was this belief system created? That's the best way for me as a coach or a practitioner to understand what that belief, where it was created, how it was created, how long have you had this belief system? And because I, I need to understand the relationship you have, because I've had a belief system almost all my life and I'll be vulnerable right now on your show. It took me until a couple of years ago to completely let go of this belief system and be okay with it. But I felt like I was never smart enough. And when you think about all the things I've done in my life, I mean, being a quarterback, you have to be pretty smart, right? To get the, the amount of promotions I got in the workplace, you got to be pretty smart. And I just never thought I was smart enough. And that belief system came up all the time, all the time. And then now I'm just done with it. Like I'm, I am smart enough. Yeah, there's moments where someone's smarter than me or maybe I didn't say the right thing or didn't come out right. But it doesn't mean I'm, I'm not smart. So I think just going back to the, uh, the creation of that belief system and in, in tackling, putting a plan to actually change that belief, belief system. And my final question to you before we wrap up the episode, if you had to summarize what we've been speaking about today into one sentence for people to take away, what would that be? Oh, man. I love this question. Um, man, we've talked about a lot of things. And, but, I, but I, you know, what I do want to say, and I say this a lot, is whether if we covered this or not in the, in the podcast, be vulnerable, be in the moment, right? Because our moments turn into memories. The more that we're present, the more we're in our breath, we're creating these moments to be more memorable memories. And so our positive memories. So play a big game. Don't play a narrow game like I did for a long time and um, start getting that relationship to that, that breath. And if you can take away that, that BVT, breathe, visualization, and self-talk, man, that's awesome. So once again, Grant, thanks again for coming on the Mindset Athlete Podcast. Awesome. I mean, I enjoyed it. I had fun. Oh, the pleasure's been all mine. If you like this episode, please do share it with your friends and do let Grant and I know what you thought of the episode by tagging us over on Instagram at GFPMindset and at JamesOrRoberts11. And again, you can do the same on Twitter and Facebook. And finally, do check out his book, The Next One Up Mindset, How to Prepare for the Unknown. And not forgetting his podcast, 90% mental. And once again, do check out my free content at fitamputee.co.uk forward slash free dash resources. Make sure to check those out. The links will be in the description. You can find all the show notes at mindsetgame.lipson.com under the category psychology. So once again, thanks for listening and I'll catch you next week for another episode the Mindset Athlete Podcast.